Before we get into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy listening to this show, please take a second to leave a review. It will help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. You can also go to my website, ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com, to send me a message, or if you have a story to share, send a submission request. Your story will be completely anonymous, and it will help thousands of listeners manage their own toxic work experience. It was still during the pandemic. I've been unemployed for almost a year. This is Rose. During the pandemic, she was out of a job and in search of her next career move. And I had gotten a job in retail management, but it was part-time. I wanted something else to help supplement my income. And a former colleague of mine reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be an assistant for her in this new role. It looked like a really interesting kind of step up and something that's a lot more professional. It was with a community center in the nonprofit kind of setting, and that's really where I wanted to move to. So it made a lot of sense for me in a lot of ways to make that move. It would have been like a foot in the door, but she did give me some warnings about the challenges of dealing with the director. Securing a position within this nonprofit community center seemed to be a great match for what Rose had envisioned for her career. She figured this would be a nice segue into working her way up in the nonprofit world. She happily agreed to this assistant position, despite the cautionary warnings from her friend about the difficult director. She would have to find out for herself just how toxic this director really was. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform to those who have survived highly toxic work experiences only to come out with newfound wisdom and a renewed sense of self. A toxic workplace is more than just the daily grind. It's a soul-crushing experience that will chip away at your sanity until you're about to lose your mind. It's an abusive relationship that's hard to leave. And the longer you stay, the more you lose sight of who you set out to be. It felt like the community center was desperate to revitalize themselves in general. They have a lot of different things that they do. They're like a full center. This was specifically in the food and restaurant management side because they had a restaurant that would help to serve the community and help bring profits back into the organization. It's kind of this weird hybrid. You're both a restaurant manager, but you're also like an upper level management member within the community center as well. When I first started as the assistant, that only ended up being two months long before I ended up becoming the full manager. And it's when I became the manager that I was full-time, I was interacting with the director regularly. That's when more issues really started to come to light. The only issues that I knew of while I was still in the assistant role was that the director had a lot of issues around like trust, transparency, and just divulging information that you need to know to do your job well in that level of management role. You know, if you're running a business, you need to know what's my budget, 
what are our forecasts looking like? Do you have any specific goals that you'd like to see? And she was just not forthcoming with any of that information. It was very secretive. And when it's your responsibility to grow and manage a business, these are kind of fundamental things that you need to have access to. So it was like kind of putting a wrench in it from the beginning. You're just like, okay, well, how am I supposed to do this thing that you want me to do when I'm not given the information and tools that I need to do it? Rose worked for only two months as a part-time assistant to her friend before her friend called it quits. She was quickly offered this manager position and accepted without question, knowing this would be an opportunity to prove her managerial skills within this organization. Although she was aware of her friend's frustrations with the director, she was willing to take on the challenge with hope that she could find solutions to the operational issues faced by the restaurant division. She actually called me and said, basically, hey, I can't really do this anymore. This is not a fit. Do you want my job? And given where I was at the time, even with the challenges that I had heard of, like, you know what? Overall, this is still going to be better than where I am, especially pay-wise. And I was at the age being just a few years out of school struggling to get myself established in a real professional career path. This was to me like a really good stepping stone position. Even if I didn't like it, I could leave later. But I saw like the utility for myself in taking the job, like practically and financially. So I was like, yep, I'm going to do it. And it was kind of an easy decision to take her job. So when I transition from the assistant role to the manager role there was an interview this time but it was just over the phone and it was basically a shoe-in kind of situation I don't actually think I ever submitted a resume I did have one presentation that I gave and we basically just had kind of like a visionary chat you know, we, sh- we could do this with marketing. We need to do some more of this. We need some more outreach. We need to make some menu improvements here. And, and we just got along and we seemed to have a lot of the same visions for what we wanted the department and the center as a whole to look like. It was based on that resonance that I think she thought that I was the right person. And I thought that she might be the right person to work with as well. She very, like, presumptively asked, so you're okay keeping your current wage, right? And in my head, I was like, um, no. How would that even make sense? So I said, well, I happen to know what the supervisor makes and that I'm the same wage as she is right now. And I know what the manager makes. I would like to be able to make what the current manager is making. Her reason for not offering me the same starting wage as the last manager was because the last manager was recruited and they had pumped up the wage to be more attractive, to recruit more talent. But what they were actually hoping to pay was less. And like it wasn't even that high, like they weren't even going to be making 40000 a year. Like, I knew that I was at least minimally qualified. This job was definitely a step up for me, but not outside of my reach. 
This director was taking advantage of Rose's situation. Rose had the education and background to do well in this role. Obviously, the director was impressed with her interview presentation, enough to offer her the position. A position that came with a lot of responsibility. She would now be managing a supervisor that would make the same wage as she did. And the bump up in pay wasn't a big ask. A few bucks per hour more would cost this organization about $4,000 a year, an amount they had already budgeted for the previous manager's salary. For my first day as the manager, I showed up, bells and whistles, ready to work, excited. We hadn't really pre-planned. Meet me in my office at such and such a time for orientation. There wasn't even anything like that via email or phone call. I just showed up. And there was a little bit of handover given to me by the previous manager, but because she didn't have much guidance, she didn't even really know what to tell me. I was expecting to have a desk or workspace of some kind and a computer to work off of and to have access to talk to my boss. And that was not the case. She wasn't there. And eventually when she was and I did ask where I'd be working, I assumed I was working in the same area that she was where there was all these empty desks with all these employees who were now working from home or maybe non-existent, I assumed I would take one of the existing cubicles in the organization. That just made sense. But no, those were like weirdly reserved for people who weren't there. And when I did eventually use one of the computers, I also realized that it's almost unusable because they were so old and so slow. So what I ended up doing is I literally created my own space in another area and I had to clean it and clear it And I just used my own personal laptop because the old ones were that slow and that fast. (laughs) The space that I had created for myself was an office with a key, which made sense because I had lots of information in there that needn't be accessed by anyone just walking through the community center. So there was a door with a lock and I was not allowed to have a key to my own office. (laughs) I was able to speak openly and candidly with another one of my coworkers from another department because they started within a few days of when I started. So we were kind of going through it together. And even though we were in very different departments, we were having very similar experience. Like they were not given any direction. They weren't given a physical space to work in. And their job was all administration. So we were left kind of like, what do I do? (laughs) My role ended up being more like half of high-level manager business development stuff and half the role of the person below me, the supervisor. So that was more like day-to-day restaurant operations, scheduling staff, making sure we have inventory, putting in orders, making sure health and safety is up to code, re-merchandising, advertising for events and specials, menu changes, that kind of stuff. The director wasn't very involved at all. I had attempted on a number of occasions to try to get her ear to put forth ideas or get clarification on what she wanted. And she just wasn't available. 
we would have check-in meetings once a week, but she wouldn't always attend. Like, especially in the first six months that I was there, she missed so many meetings. And she was such a control freak, like every little decision had to go through her that even the assistant director could only basically be a note taker. She didn't have the power to make any decisions. So it made the process for trying to make decisions and initiate things and take action on projects that much longer and slower to do because I had to wait two weeks three weeks for a decision about something. There was no direction right off the rip for Rose. Based on the interview call with her director, she was under the impression she would be managing the operational duties of the restaurant, including strategic planning and marketing that would promote this nonprofit organization. At the very least, she assumed she would have a workspace equipped with a functioning computer, but that wasn't the case. Her most productive conversation was probably her initial interview with the director, because once she started, she rarely saw her, let alone collaborated on the things they discussed in the interview call. As she became acclimated in her new role, Rose started to realize the director was completely hands-off concerning the operations within her department. Yet the director had total control of what they did and how they did things which made it very difficult to implement any improvements and tainted the morale of the staff. So at first, the director only demonstrated issues like around information transparency and just not being present and not giving much guidance. It wasn't until several more months in where I started to experience the interpersonal issues with her directly. But I had already started to hear about other stories of past employees and current employees who have had serious conflicts with her and that this was an established pattern and it hadn't seemed to made any change over the years. So something that put me as a manager in a very awkward position was having concerns raised from my team about her because I'm the intermediary. I'm the person in between. So we would literally be able to overhear the director yelling at other staff members from across the building or on other floors. And you can just feel like the tone you just immediately have the stomach drop and you're like oh I would hate to feel how that person is feeling right now whoever is on the receiving end of that because we also know it's probably not for a very good reason not that there is a kind of reason that makes somebody deserving of being yelled at and condescended to and Like she would tell people that they're incompetent, that this is a circus show. Uh, What are you doing? That's such a waste of time. We were mostly doing the things that she would tell us to do or doing things the way that she told us to do it. And then she'd get frustrated or upset with it or would be frustrated that it's taking so long. And we would tell her the process is broken. This is why it's taking me so long. 
So we were always stuck between like a rock and a hard place that way. And the staff would always overhear these conflicts that would often resort in her yelling at somebody. And we would see other staff members leave clearly upset. And I myself left the premises entirely after some meetings in tears that I couldn't hold back because I needed to go and collect myself. There were a number of instances where we would do something exactly the way that she said to do it, and then she would complain about it. Just like, you're the one that told us to do it this way. And this would happen not only with things that we would actually tangibly execute, but also with research projects that were aimed at initiating some kind of project. Like, even in the research phase, she would be the same way. Like, she would tell me, okay, so we need to look up prices for these kinds of products to confirm what we're going to be charging for this, this, and this. Or we need to know what kinds of products to start to sell. You know, this is not working. What other things might sell better? And she would always have these ideas about what would actually be better. I would tell her on the spot without even having to do the research that something is not going to work or that's not really trending right now or something like that, right? And she's like, okay, well, let's just see what the research says. And then I'd come back with the research and sometimes she'd almost like forget that she even asked us to spend hours doing this and be like, oh, like that's so last week. Or when we would come back and say, okay, so I researched this thing that you asked of us. So it's not going to work for such and such reasons. Or here are the pros. Like the occasional time there might have been something that might have been a good idea from her that I researched. And she'll say, oh, we don't have time for that. Or I'd rather you focus on something else right now. And there was this like constant shifting of priorities, which I think came from her own neuroticism over the fact that the department wasn't doing well. So she kept like changing her focus, which kept changing what I was doing. Once I got six months in or so, I realized that I really didn't have any control over my own department. And I had to completely switch my strategy. Like I couldn't be this go-getter with the ideas that was in touch with what's going on with this industry. No, I had to just basically do what she says and if she doesn't like it, well, just do what else she says after that. And that became the job. And that was very crushing. I was hoping going into this job, there could be a transformation of the space and the business and it could be attributed to myself and my team. And that would have been so amazing but we were just basically barred from being able to do any of the things that would have got us there. When the leader of an organization controls all decisions, it stifles productivity and stunts the growth of those reporting to them. Managers who are not empowered to make decisions won't be able to gain the necessary experience needed to develop in their role. The constant need to control stems from a lack of trust and this director had serious trust issues. I asked Rose whether there was a board of directors she could go to to voice her concerns about this director. Not surprisingly, the board of this nonprofit was unavailable. So there was a board that the director reported to, but unlike in most cases, this board was entirely inaccessible. And when things got really bad at the end, 
I had asked for the contact information of the board and was literally denied this information. So I could not lodge a complaint to anyone other than her about her. And in none of the orientation or training materials was there listed contact information for those board members. It mentioned a conflict resolution procedure. So if there was ever conflict with a director, then you could go to the board and the director would not be involved. And I tried to use that policy and enact that policy at the end of my time there, but was again denied permission to get the contact information to make that complaint. When an organization doesn't have proper conflict resolution processes in place, or they have them on paper, but they don't stick to them, the conflict will go unchecked. The perpetrator will not be held accountable for their actions, and toxicity will ensue, creating a miserable work environment for all involved. Rose's director had been with the organization for a long time. She put on a great front to the public. She seemed to genuinely care about the livelihood of the community, yet she couldn't care less about the livelihood of her staff. I assume the board of directors saw the side of her that appeared passionate about the people of the community, and her longevity with the organization made her untouchable. She had been with the organization for a long, long time, and she genuinely seemed to care about the communities that we served, but nothing else seemed to translate. It's like, okay, for a director, we need someone who is passionate and who cares about these issues and who has all these other qualifications. And it's like she had the the care and the passion for the community, but not the skills and the leadership skills that she needed to actually execute things. And it was almost like bitterly ironic that she she did have this deep caring for the community members that we served, but yet she would treat her employees so badly. It was like night and day difference. There was definitely like two faces that were put on for sure. I think there was genuine care for the community there, but were those motivations completely altruistic? I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, she definitely had many attempts to try to save face and to not blow anything out of proportion or let's not get upset about this, you know, let's not go to the board. So it's like, there's obviously things you hide there. So, you know, what are those things? Uncovering hidden agendas of a toxic leader can be impossible when that person appears to be genuine and caring to the outside world. But when words don't match up with actions, that's a telltale sign that something more is going on underneath the surface. Rose says the morale was very low amongst her staff which she attributed to the toxicity that trickled down from the top. I was quite close and open with my own team. Over time, it became just kind of like an interesting psychological observation, really. When you're in the middle of it, you can really see how corruption at the top trickles all the way down to the bottom. So even my restaurant staff, who were the most removed from direct influence of the director, were feeling all of the way that she is. 
I'm a collaborative worker and my team valued collaboration. And I think in today's day and age, more of a collaborative approach over an authoritarian approach is important. And so I would ask, you guys are the front line. What do you think needs to be changed? What do you think we need to do to make such and such better? And they would have ideas and I would filter them through myself and the supervisor. We'd talk to them. We'd present those ideas to the director and I'd always be told no. And I'd have to come back to my team and say, sorry, guys, we can't do this or we don't have the budget to do this. Even if it was for something so ridiculously small budget, like I'm talking like $150 to make an improvement that would make a nice difference. No. And I literally had zero budget to work with. So my team and I knew what needed to happen to make the business better and had to come back to them and say, sorry, guys, we can't do that. Or we'll try this half-ass approach instead. I know it's not what we wanted and what might be ideal, but this is kind of the half measure we can take instead. And eventually they got pretty frustrated. And the turnover in any kind of food industry is typically higher than other kinds of industries. And I knew that, but the director didn't seem to understand that. And she didn't understand food and restaurants in general at all, yet she was essentially the manager and I was just kind of the intermediary. It was always up to me to figure out why this was happening and to fix it. And I kept saying, well, I know what the problems are. Like the director would overload everybody, every type of employee. She would really overload them with the number of responsibilities that they had just in terms of the breadth of what was expected of them without the time allowance to do it and without the pay that reflects the various skills that are needed to do all of those things. And she always had an excuse about that as, oh, well, we're a community center, we're a nonprofit. It's typical in nonprofits that people do lots of different things and kind of have to be a bit of a jack of all trades. Okay, well, when you're talking to frontline restaurant staff, and that is essentially all their role is, they don't really feel like they're part of a nonprofit when you're a server. They're not buying in (laughs) and their pay would actually be less than what a typical restaurant worker would be making once you factor in tips. Because she also didn't allow anyone to make tips. And that was a huge point of contention with everybody. And I fought so hard for them and was just told no, no. And I actually got to the point where I was told to cease and desist with this issue because we would not be doing this. And there's all these stupid excuses as to why we either can't pay the staff more or we can't allow tips. So it's like you have all these expectations for all these staff um, in the front end, and you're not giving them a higher enough wage that reflects the breadth of what you're asking, and you're also not allowing tips. So they became very demotivated, and it became even harder for me and the supervisor to keep them happy and to keep the service good and the things that you need to keep good to keep repeat business. The director was being very cheap about the financial resources she allotted to the restaurant. Her excuse was that they were a non-profit, but just because an organization is not-for-profit doesn't mean it shouldn't function with the intentions to generate revenue. 
revenue that can be invested back into the organization, which will in turn help those within it prosper and grow. When employees prosper and grow, that in turn generates more revenue and the cycle continues. This is how organizations grow. But the director didn't seem to understand this concept. Rose said she was weird and low-key suspicious about finances. Everything and anything that had to do with money ran through her and the treasurer. Even simple things that could be managed by Rose or other middle managers couldn't be touched. Continuously getting shot down by this director started to take a toll on Rose. The way she treated Rose started to trigger insecurities that she had been dealing with since childhood. The way that I was feeling about work and going into work had me and some of my other employees, honestly, in such knots. We were really not in a good place in general, and nobody wants to feel like someone else is controlling their well-being in and out of work. It happened to be the case that the way in which this director interacted with people, the way that she made them feel was a perfect trigger for me for past issues that I've experienced. Even though I'm an adult now, I still deal with repercussions from being bullied pretty badly for many years in adolescence. And I also grew up in a pretty dysfunctional home. And I'm still working through these things. The way that this director was perfectly hit so many of my soft spots, and it was not a good mix. But once I kind of realized that this was not somewhere that I'm going to be staying, this is not someone who I need to please, I am not defined by work, I started to develop more strength and feel like I could start to stand up to the director and actually start to use the last few months of my employment as a bit of a playground for basically like working on my own mental health and having real life practice scenarios in which to do it. I couldn't stand up to bullies in adolescence. I didn't have the knowledge or courage to do so. I couldn't stand up for myself when I was in my home situation. It was just kind of a passive observer of chaos. But now I'm kind of at the effort stage. I basically just was like, you know what? I'm going to work on my courage and using my voice because here I have, and in a real adult situation, a bully who is making me feel small, making me feel stupid, making me question myself. And so I said, you know what? Clearly, this is not me being dramatic or overly emotional. This is happening to so many other employees that I've talked to and heard about. And I told myself, you know what? Practice is what makes you better. And here's a real life situation where you get to practice. So I started to stand up for myself and call her out in meetings to be like, I'm sorry, I just need to pause for a second. You're doing this right now. This is making me feel this way. I would like to go back to this topic, please. And it looks like on the outside, it came out pretty like steady handed. But on the inside, like my nerves were like on fire. It was really hard and I had to deal with the gutting stress of being in this situation. 
but I at least knew that I was working towards a higher cause, and that was self-development, not only for myself going forward professionally, but also to kind of retroactively work on things that haven't had the opportunity to be worked on, because we can think ourselves through lots of different things, and we can heal ourselves through thinking different ways, but it's when you're in a situation where you have to act on that, that makes a big difference. And that's the harder thing to do. So to act in a way that was outside of the personality that I had developed as a result of dysfunctional childhood and bullying was really hard, but also really liberating at the same time. These triggering experiences of bullying brought Rose's inner child to the forefront. But instead of sitting back and feeling silenced, this time she dug deep within herself to find the untapped courage and strength that had been there all along. There wasn't really one major instance that stuck out to Rose that made her think this wasn't a good workplace, but rather a number of subtle instances that collectively created a glaring problem. Instead of recoiling in response to the toxicity, Rose charged forward and faced it head on. And it was there that she found her voice. So there were so many smaller things that added up. It wasn't one of those situations where there's one really big striking issue that just makes you say, nope. It was in the subtleties. It's almost like in the kind of relational violence that you hear about among girls in adolescence. It's more of a relational violence. And when you're experiencing that kind of thing, it's almost hard to convince yourself that there's something wrong. Because when you look at any one instance in isolation, it's almost like, well, okay, but eh. But when you take it all together and you see the big picture, it's like, okay, I can understand why this is having such a serious negative impact on somebody. And it's a death by a thousand cuts kind of situation. I very much felt like my previous bullied self was present during this experience. And me now being in a position where I feel like I can actually stand up to my bully kind of symbolically helped that inner child stand up to their bullies from the past and made it so that I was able to work on those things that have been dormant. Like I said, it was like my playground. And I think the use of the word playground is interesting here and why that's the word I thought of, because I do feel like that inner child who was bullied was very much present in this situation, wanting to stand up for herself and change the script had a lot of really uncomfortable conversations directly with the director and with the assistant director when I would complain to her and talk about these things and try to get some kind of conflict resolution because as a child, I did not pursue conflict resolution because it was just so normal for me. I almost didn't even see it as an issue. But now, having a little bit more self-worth and having a little bit more bravery, I said, you know what? This isn't right. I shouldn't be treated like this. Nobody should be treated like this. So that action stance was something that I didn't have 
as a child, but I have now and was able to exercise now. So at about 10 months to a year in, I was definitely just in survival mode with the job. My mental health was seriously declining at home and at work and really starting to realize that this job isn't worth it and I need to start planning my exit plan and to start looking for other jobs. I started applying to other jobs and it took me a couple months to find something, but I eventually did and the timing happened to work out really well. I made it very clear and I was directly honest with her about why I was leaving. I told her, you know, to her face in our meetings, you treat me like A, B, and C, makes me feel this kind of way. You also treat others this kind of way. There seems to be no change. I don't have any faith. I'm leaving. I'm not going to be renewing my contract. And for me to say that to her was really like nerve wracking, but I had developed such a stronger sense of self that that felt okay to set some real boundaries for myself. It was clear to me that this is something that she's heard and she's made her own stories about it in her mind in such a way that it doesn't affect her. Like, oh, well, it'll be a shame to lose you. I'm sorry you feel that way. Is there anything I can do? And there's been a number of things over many months and years that people have suggested for her to do to change the way she is, and it seemingly not happened. So I knew not to believe that. I'm sticking to my guns. I really need to. This really feels right. And just trusting your gut to get out. I gave them like one, two months notice and they were even willing to work with me on, you know, you work here until you get somewhere else. And then the last bit came in there where they wanted to basically offload all of my duties onto the supervisor who was one position below me. And they wanted to completely like rejig her job without even asking her whether she wanted that, with a lot of hesitation around whether or not a pay raise would come with it. So I ended up being in this odd position of when I did get another job and I had a start date, I let them know. But the status was basically, I was kind of month to month until I got something else. And I was assuming that they were going to start recruiting for my replacement. What ended up happening was they just wanted to dump everything onto the supervisor. And she was not happy about that, obviously. And we had several meetings as a group. And we would go through this, like, ridiculous long list of what her duties and responsibilities were. And we would look at each other and be like, how did they expect this to be all to be done? And what ended up happening was... My entire team left after I did, all of them. Within a couple months, they all left. Even a couple colleagues from other departments also happened to leave around the same time. So it really left them with a lot of holes to fill. 
This organization is a prime example of the destruction that happens under poor leadership and the turnover that is inevitable when organizations refuse to invest in their operations and staff. Rose found a new position in a different industry at a company that values her attributes. Although her time at the community center was challenging, she was able to take away valuable advice for herself and others going through a similar situation. If you're in a situation where something doesn't feel right on multiple levels, listen to that and curiously investigate that. You know, like, what is your body and your behaviors telling you? You know, you can excuse things away in your mind all you want. You know, your mind can make excuses and can get around red flags. But what is your body and your spirit basically telling you? Those are where things really show the most. And you have to know when enough is enough and it's not worth continuing. So if you can find something to gain from the situation and capitalize on the crap, then do it. And, you know, if you really don't care about the job anymore and you have a determined exit plan, try something that you were too afraid to do before. Stay professional and respectful, but, you know, push your limits, go outside your comfort zone, push yourself to grow in some way. Crappy situations are not all crappy. You can find something in it. You know, diamonds are formed through pressure. So sometimes we need a little bit of pressure to really evolve. You might find yourself in a situation to do that for yourself. At the other side of chaos and confusion is an unwavering voice that resides within you. A voice that will guide you through the most challenging hardships, liberate you from self-despair, and build you up to a higher potential. You have to push through the challenge to find it. It's never easy, but always worth it. Rose's story is profound because she was able to actively overcome lingering childhood insecurities and utilize her inner strength to fight the bullies that silenced her in the past. She's no longer the bullied girl on the playground. Rather, she's a courageous leader sharing her voice and wisdom so that others can be liberated within their struggles. Next time on Toxic Workplace. During this time, the rumor mills were probably the second most productive thing in the office. My supervisor, Ann, would naturally brag, and people knew that everybody who was in that department that they found upon people who came from the smaller office. So they pretty much labeled us as less competent than they were, that somehow they they lived in the better side of town or whatever, I don't know what, but that's how I was meant to feel inferior to them. You know, I probably had the same education. I probably went to the same college as they did. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have a story to share, please go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the employee and the company. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.